The Packers opened their public OTA season on Tuesday, and they showed something that will be key to defining the Packers' success this season, plus how Matt LaFleur is going to have to change how he coaches the 2023 Packers. All of that on today's show. You are locked on Packers. He's got great speed. Your daily Green Bay Packers podcast. Christian Watson down the sideline. Locked on podcast network. And he will score. Your team every day. You are locked on Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for the leap. A newsletter I would love for you to subscribe to. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter, Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast. iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. Thanks to everyone who makes Locked on Packers their first listen every day. We hope you like starting your day with us as much as we like starting our day with you. We got our first glimpse at the 2023 Green Bay Packers, or at least the guys who were at OTA. Some obviously critical pieces like David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins and Jair Alexander were just not participating. Then you have guys like Rashawn Gary and Eric Stokes who are not healthy enough to participate more on Eric Stokes' health coming up a little bit later. And, you know, it wasn't a perfect start. But one thing stands out. Well, it's actually two things. When you go into this season, I was trying to figure out, okay, if the Packers are going to look the way that we think they're going to look, under center, run game, play action, bootlegs. Um, Steve Calhoun from Armed and Dangerous, who is Jordan Love's personal quarterback coach, tweeted out a clip of all the work Jordan Love is doing, and so much of it is him throwing on the run. So much of it. And I think we're going to see, you know, we we talk about the the what Brian Dayball did with Daniel Jones last year, the, the run game the boots, the play actions, getting him on the move, changing the launch angle, using his legs as a weapon. Jordan Love can be a part of that. We, In fact, we even saw a couple reps where Jordan Love is riding the running back like it's a zone read. We're going to see that stuff. We saw it, in fact, in the limited playing time from Jordan Love over the last few years. That stuff is in the playbook. It's part of the Shanahan, LaFleur, McVay tree, whatever you want to call it, and we saw it in Tennessee with Marcus Mariota. We saw it in Tennessee with Ryan Tannehill and Arthur Smith. We saw it in San Francisco with Trey Lance. Like, this stuff is there. So if the Packers are going to run that version of the offense, and they've got this incredibly young receiver room, even if we think it's talented, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Jaden Reed, Samori Toure, Dontavian Wicks, Grant DuBose, Bo Melton. Even if you like those players, and I do, you are going, okay, there is a way teams are going to attack the Packers. And I don't think it's the same way that they have been attacked under Aaron Rodgers, which leads to important questions about how this team is going to look. So it is going to be, I think, the goal of every defense to stop Aaron Jones. 
If the Packers can run the ball, that sets up everything for them. That keeps them in manageable down in distances. They're not in third and eight, 10, 12. And you're staying ahead of the sticks, which gives everything in the playbook up for you. It keeps play action, all that stuff. Even though history and data and math and science say you don't need to run the ball effectively to have a good play action game. Matt LaFleur seems to think you need to run the ball effectively to have a good play action game. The good news for Green Bay is they can. And they can run the ball on just about anyone. So, okay, then teams are going to, we know that is good. Teams are going to gear up to stop that. That means playing more single high than a lot of teams around the league want to play. And if it doesn't, if teams are going to live in too high against the Packers, you have to be able to make them pay by running the ball. And, and too often in 2022 and in, in to some degree in 2021, the Packers just weren't able to do that. I think that getting these tight ends is a way for them to say, look, we want to be able to punish teams for playing light boxes and a couple extra big guys on the field is a good way to do that. A lot of teams against 12 are going to stay in their nickel. Even if they stay in base, if you stay in that 2D personnel, the offense is going to have a theoretical advantage in terms of the counts and the box and all that good stuff. So, okay. If you're going to play single high, which is what I think teams are going to do more often than they would otherwise. And they're going to play more man coverage. Challenge these young receivers to get open. How do you counter? And the short answer is Christian Watson. And Eric Eager, friend of the show, tweeted out a, a report that, that uh, Sumner Sports did and the analytics that they put together with the help of Matt Harmon from Reception Perception and it tells us something that we we really knew intuitively, but the data supports, and that is the quality of a, a receiver and the predictive capabilities of a receiver's production is in their ability to beat man coverage. This makes sense to us, right? This is not something where, you know, film grinders and analytics people disagree. If you can beat man coverage, you're a good receiver. Like, that's really what it is. And only the best receivers can consistently beat man coverage. Last year, Christian Watson, no time caveats. This is not week 10 to week 18. All of last season, Christian Watson was third among qualifying receivers in yards per route run against man coverage. Third. Mike Williams and Jerry Judy were the only guy who generated more yards per route run against man coverage last year than Christian Watson. Just to give you an idea of the guys he's ahead of, right behind him, the next five players just in case you think this is a made-up stat. The next five players, Jamar Chase, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Justin Jefferson, C.D. Lamb. That is, that's like the five best receivers in the league practically. And so you, you look at that and you go, okay, Christian Watson can beat man coverage. And one of the reasons why he's so productive against man is he's also fifth in yards after catch per reception against man coverage with just one drop. If you give him an opportunity against man coverage, guys just can't run with him. Whether it's vertically, whether it's across the field, 
If you give him some space in man coverage and you give the quarterback time, he can kill you. And if you look at yards per catch, he averaged over 17 yards per catch against man coverage. His ability to win vertically is essential. And this is this is why this is so important. We can't expect, go back and think of what the Packers offense was in 2021. Teams wanted to live in those two high shells. And so Aaron Rodgers just meticulously picked them apart. If they had a box advantage, you ran the ball out of these shotgun looks. If they didn't, then you throw underneath and you matriculate down the field. You get Devontae Adams one-on-one against literally anybody. And Aaron Rodgers is going to make the, the right plays nine times, 10 times out of 10. That was not quite the case last year. Different group of receivers. You're not going to be able to do that with Jordan Love and this receiver group. You're not going to be able to just go 10 plays, 12 plays, 80 yards. Not consistently. They need to introduce variance. And so you look at the play of the day in OTAs on Tuesday. A Jordan Love bomb to Dontavian Wicks for a 55-yard play. These are the plays you have to have. You have to be able to create variance. And that is why Christian Watson is key to this offense. Here's the other, the last part of this. If you're going to be a variance team, and the Packers are probably going to be a variance team at least early going 2023. By 2024, maybe they can be more efficient if Jordan Love is, is it. The best session that this passing game had on Tuesday was in the red zone. Jordan Love buying time, hitting Jaden Reed. Jordan Love with a laser to Christian Watson for a touchdown. Jordan Love, touchdown to Romeo Dobbs. If they can be a variance team where you can create some explosives against a team that wants to play single high, beat teams for wanting to play single high, and when they're in too high run against them, and then when you get into scoring position, score. Be good in the red zone. If the Packers can create some explosive plays and then be good when they get in position to score, that's enough. Jordan Love does not have to complete 70% of his passes. He does not have to go, you know, 25 of 30 in games. No, he can go 16 of, 16 of 30. But if he's 16 for 30 for 300 yards, that's fine. Two or three chunk plays. And this goes back to what we said last year. The Packers needed Christian Watson or Romeo Dobbs to make one big play, two big plays a game. Now it turned out when that happened, they won. Most of the time. Go back and think of the games that they won. Romeo Dobbs, huge in the Patriots game. Christian Watson, Cowboys game. Uh, Bears game with the end around touchdown. When those guys produced, this Packers offense was really good. That can happen again. You have to be able to create explosives and you have to be good in the red zone. Those are the two things offensively that the Packers have to be able to do because we know they can run the ball. We know this offensive line is good. And so that is that is where the, the standard is this season. And they can be good enough, more than good enough, frankly, on offense. All right, I want to talk about Matt LaFleur. 
because we haven't really talked enough about Matt LaFleur over the course of the last few months. Before we get to that, today's episode brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Did you have Nuggets heat in the NBA Finals? You probably didn't. In fact, the Heat are going to be the longest odds team to win the finals that has ever made it to the finals. The longest, it is crazy what Miami has been able to do. And yet, here they are. And guess what? I might bet on them because why, why wouldn't you? They've been incredible to this point. So why not risk it with a no sweat first bet? Not really a risk it. No risk it, no biscuit, except, I don't know, if you're not risking anything, if you get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000 like FanDuel wants to give new customers right now, you can not risk it and get your biscuit because if you hit, guess what? You hit. That's a beautiful thing. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. Thanks for making Locked On Packers your first listen every day. Every dayers. What's up? I appreciate you. Um, Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl on the show tomorrow because the Packers love Senior Bowlers. And by the way, Jim Nagy is a former Packers evaluator. Left after the Super Bowl in 96 um, and still has connections to this Packers organization. He talks about the Senior Bowl process, guys like Jaden Reed, Christian Watson, this whole, I mean, this whole class was at the Senior Bowl. Luke Musgrave, Dontavian Wicks, Jaden Reed, Grant DuBose, Carl Brooks, they were all there. The, the entire Packers skill position was scouted by Jim Nagy. So you're, gonna, you're not going to want to miss this one. So something Matt LaFleur said after practice on Tuesday stuck out to me. He said they're, they're going to do, and they, they are doing, some more unscripted portions of practice. And the reason is they want to see, the coaches want to see what these young players are retaining. This is a young team. And it got me thinking that we haven't spent enough time talking about, and I haven't heard enough other people talking about, the way Matt LaFleur will have to coach differently. You have to coach a veteran team expecting to win Super Bowls differently than you have to coach a team with a much more diverse age range and with much lower expectations. You just have to coach them differently. I think about this in the NBA all the time, and it's it's more apparent in the NBA for whatever reason that you have these coaches that are like young team coaches. They come in and they can set a culture and they can get your young guys playing hard and they're good for player development. But at a certain point, you bump up against the ceiling. And when that young team is ready to go compete for a title, you move on from that coach. And then there are coaches, guys like Doc Rivers, who are seen more as like, I'm going to come in. I'm going to steady the ship for, for this veteran team that's going to go win, try and win a championship. Now, that didn't work out great for him in Philly and didn't work out great for him in L.A. and, you know, ended badly in Boston. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, that is the perception of a player or coach like Doc Rivers. 
I don't know that there is that same sort of idea in the NFL. I mean, I think Doug Peterson comes into a young team. He is a seasoned coach, a Super Bowl winner, and comes in and just gives them instant credibility. It's amazing what he did for that organization. Now, Matt LaFleur came into a team that was a veteran team that was trying to compete for Super Bowls that came up well short in 2018, and he changes the culture. And he's able to both change the culture and win on a veteran team. That is a hard line to walk. But he did it. The question is, does he fit this team now? And and I don't even know that that is the question because he's coached a lot of these teams that are in that kind of position. You know, the Falcons, when he was a quarterback coach, that was a pretty young team. That was a pretty young team. Um, Washington, really young team. Robert Griffin, he was a big part of the development of Robert Griffin III. The Titans, that's a young team. The Rams, that was a pretty young team. He's actually had far more experience in those kinds of situations than the kind of situation he found himself in almost immediately, in large part because he helped change the culture. And of course, Brian Gutekinds went out and spent a bunch of money on players, brought in Zedaria Smith and Preston Smith and Adrian Amos and Billy Turner. That kicked off a, a historic run from Matt LaFleur when he was the winningest coach in NFL history. The best first three seasons in terms of wins we've ever seen. But he's got to coach this team differently. I love the idea of saying, I'm just going to call plays. We want you to figure it out. That is, that is signs that he understands this team needs to be coached differently. And I, I believe Temperamentally, inherently, Matt LaFleur is better suited to coach a team like this. A team that is going to listen, that he can grow with, and he can create new habits. That's what Matt LaFleur can be good at. I believe that. And to say that, I think is not to undersell the job that he's done over the past few years with the Packers because what he did is not easy to do and not every coach would be suited to take this veteran team such as they were over the last few years and mold them into this other thing in a post-Mike McCarthy world where the culture had gotten toxic, there had been this, this complacency within the organization and the poison dripped down, to borrow a phrase from succession. It did. And he changed all of that. I think this team is better suited to Matt LaFleur's coaching style. He is a teacher. You don't have to be a teacher with veterans. You have to keep them on track. Keep them focused. You don't have to teach them. I think Matt LaFleur is an extremely gifted developmental coach. I think the reason he kept Tom Clements is because he saw the value and Jordan Love saw the value in what Clements did for him developmentally last year. There is tremendous value in having a coach who understands how to teach the game. Like that's not really what someone like Mike Tomlin does or John Harbaugh does. And that's not even a shot at them. It's just a different style of coaching. Those guys are culture guys. 
They're veteran team guys. It's different now. Expectations are different. Now, as Aaron Jones pointed out, sorry to Andy Herman, but I'm not sorry. This team is not rebuilding. They want to win. They want to be good this year. They are trying to be good this year. But it's going to take these young players getting acclimated on the fly. You need a coach who can put them in position to do that. I think Matt LaFleur can do that, but we have to see him do it. This is a hint to me that he can. Now, the question becomes, is there enough talent to make that worth it? And we're not going to know the answer to that until we actually see these guys on the field. All right. More to come this week on Locked on Packers, of course. Before we finish up today, thanks to everyone who makes Locked on Packers your first listen every day. We hope you like starting your day with us as much as we like starting our day with you. Everydayers. Jim Nagy on the show tomorrow. Um, Gary Ellerson coming up here soon. We got a, a Rogers Signature Series coming up. I've got a couple people on the line. We got to work out scheduling for that one. Um, and more rookie orientation. The Jim Nagy is not really a rookie orientation, where, although we're going to talk about a lot of the Packers rookies. Not an official rookie orientation, so a lot more to come there. Make sure you are with us every step of the way. A couple of little updates from OTAs. Um, Russell Douglas on the field at OTAs, but not practicing really. Rashawn Gary working again also with Eric Stokes in the rehab group, but but looking spry. We don't know for sure exactly what's going on with, with his recovery. Eric Stokes said he doesn't know when he's going to be back. He thought when he originally tore his meniscus that he was going to be back pretty soon, a couple weeks. Then it turned out he also had a Liz Frank injury that required surgery and a plate and the whole thing. So he was jumping around. He was high-fiving. That that doesn't mean that he's like, you know, going to be good to go now. But it's not doom and gloom there. I think that's important to say. Quay Walker did some work, but not all the work. These are just little things to monitor. Little things to monitor. Keyshawn Nixon in the slot looked pretty good early on. Rudy Ford is going to get the first opportunity with the safeties as of right this minute. Zach Tom at right tackle right this minute. Now, is that because they expect David Bakhtiari to play left tackle and they want Zach Tom to be the right tackle and so Yash is your swing? I think probably. Josh Myers, JRJ on the right side, Royce Newman on the left side. I think that tells you Royce Newman not really in competition for that right guard spot. Zach Tom is. But along those same lines, Sean Ryan getting a lot of work at center. Like not just a smattering, a lot of work. That's interesting. Because I, I had some people on Twitter try and tell me, well, they, they just love to cross-train these offensive linemen. Don't, don't read it that much into Zach Tom getting some center reps. Well, okay, but what about Sean Ryan? And John Ryan Jr. has previously gotten center reps. Yeah, you want to cross-train your guys, but like Josh Myers hasn't been great. We, we, have, we have to be able to connect those two things because they're connected. I, I, think Sean, I think Sean Ryan could play center. I liked him. I said, let him play tackle. I think he could be a really, really good center. If his future on this team is not a guard, I'm going to give him an opportunity to play center. I, I think I would rather bet on the physical tools that Sean Ryan has than Josh Myers. 
Now that's my own bias with my evaluation. I, I just like Sean Ryan much better, much, much, much better as a player. Last year, he couldn't even sniff the field. Josh Myers was a day one starter. Big difference. But at a certain point, you got to perform. So maybe Sean Ryan is my new Josh Jackson that I'm just going to, I'm going to hold on to every shred of possibility there. But this is interesting that they're giving a lot of these guys opportunities to co-play center, to go win a starting job over Josh Myers, who they took over Creed Humphrey. I cannot emphasize that enough. It's not the best. Um, I don't want to overreact to what's going on in mini camps, though, and, and OTAs. Chris Barnes, I mentioned this the other day, Chris Barnes was ahead of Quay Walker last year in, in OTAs. Like Josh Jones looked like the second coming in the spring. We just can't read too much into this, but Lucas Van Ness looked the part. Luke Musgrave looked the part. Darnell Savage flying around. Like that's good to see. Jordan Love made some really nice throws. We'll see how much it means when the pads actually come on, when they actually start playing real football. This is not real football. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter, Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you'll find Locked on Packers. And anytime you want to come hang out with us live, like when we go live on YouTube, you can go subscribe on our Locked on Packers YouTube page so you can stay Locked on Packers. <laughs>